Hello and welcome to Marysville Church of Christ. My name is Bishop Darby, and I'll be your host today. This is Falling in Love. So far in this series, we've been tracking what it means to love God, have a meaningful relationship with Him. Not simply love the idea of Him, not simply know the facts about Him, but taking it to that next level. Last week, we introduced an idea about imagination and how imagination was a tool that God frequently used throughout the Old Testament to cultivate love and help us to understand of things that otherwise would be too hard for us to understand. We talked about the way that this is demonstrated through the times of dreams and visions and oracles, through pictures that God would paint and even songs that God would sing. These avenues of imagination allowed prophets and the people of old to understand something deeper than they could have conceived on their own. God used imagination as a bridge to take conceptual ideas and give them a concrete reality, allowing people to think of things greater than their own capacity. This week I've had a lot of people reach out to me, asking questions that I think are very valid. So valid, in fact, that we're going to take a little hiatus from our planned approach and spend an extra week breaking down this idea of imagination. There were three major questions that were asked, and I think all three deserve some attention. The first is, isn't imagination not trustworthy? Isn't imagination intrinsically untrustworthy? The second, another important one, these imaginative times of meditation, are they designed to cultivate an emotion? And if so, why can't I feel God? And then third, how does imagination help us concretely understand and believe in God? These three ideas, I think, are very important. And though we're not going to answer them one by one, I'm going to hopefully cover all three by getting us to look at the scriptures on what God teaches on imagination a little deeper and help us to understand our role and our function with imagination today. Let me reiterate something I said last week. And this, this is a little bit of review, but I think it's important. Imagination is something we use all the time. We use it every day, thousands of times a day. Completely subconsciously, imagination is a tool that is frequently um, our most utilized, especially in decision making. When I sit in my office and I'm considering what I want for lunch, and a couple of different restaurants come to my mind, I don't sit there and think to myself, hmm, what do I want? And I start running calories. I don't run the numbers. I'm not looking in my mind's eye at a ticker that's simply reciting all the things on the menu. No, I'm picturing items of food that I want. And as I'm picturing these items of food from each restaurant that interests me, the one that makes me the hungriest, the one that looks the most appetizing in my mind is the one I'm going to go get. In this way, I've used imagination to create a decision. In another similar fashion, we used this example last week. In the morning, if you wake up and the depiction that you're, you have of your day as you're sitting there getting ready is one full of images of failure or stress or anxiety, you actually create anxiety inside of you. Whereas if you look at the day positively, optimistically, imagining things going well, situations turning in your favor, your whole day will take on a new light. In this way, we've used imagination, not concrete realities, 
to shape what the concrete realities of our day will be. In both instances, we see that imagination is crucial both in our decision-making and in our outlook on life. Imagination is a tool that often gets a bad rep. Especially in the Western world, we mock it as if it's some story-time, little-kid-play thing. But it's so much more than that. As we mentioned last week, from mathematics to astrophysics, people constantly use their imagination to help them realize something by conceptualizing it through this means of imagination. Things they would never be able to see or understand become manageable with this tool. Why should it be any different with God? Why should it be any different in faith? Especially when that's always been the way people have used imagination with God. This is the way that people have developed a relationship with God. In the old world, people frequently got together and would create artistic or creative representations of gods to help them have something tangible to worship. We see constantly through uh, especially the early development of Mesopotamia, that many, you know, Ugaritic or Sumerian cultures had these intense, developed, creative expressions of worship designed to capture the mind's eye, to conceptualize something that otherwise they wouldn't be able to. These forms of expression, these forms of using imagination, helped people to conceptualize and follow something they did not see. When God came along and it began to institute the Jewish religion, when Judaism was in its infancy, God wanted the people of Israel to do something different. In Leviticus chapter 26, verse 1, he says this, You must not make idols for yourself or set up a carved image or sacred pillar or place a sculpted stone in your land to bow down uh, to, to, bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. Likewise, in Deuteronomy 27, in verse 15, he takes it even a step further, saying, Cursed is the man who makes a carved image, which is detestable to the Lord, the work of the hands of a craftsman, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shouted, Amen. Notice what God is saying here. Nowhere in the Old Testament does God criticize people's uses of imagination. No, he criticizes the way they're expressing their imagination. God's frustration was not the fact that these people, the Israelites, had a tendency to want to create images of him in stone. No, his frustration was that they would build these and then worship the stone as if it was the God. What he consistently instead tried to get the people to do was picture and imaginatively create him in their hearts and minds. He constantly wanted them to have him, not a, not a depiction of a sculpture, but of him as their leader, as their God, as their ruler, as their king, as the image that drove them into obedience. God understood that imagination is a vital tool. And he encouraged people to do it, but he encouraged people to do it by picturing him and focusing on him. This is an important differentiation. Because it reveals what God's desiring out of imagination. God desires imagina uh, imagination to lead to relationship. A meaningful and deep relationship. He wants imagination to be used not to take conceptual ideas and put them into concrete realities like stone 
but rather with our mind's eye and our heart to create images and depictions of God that are so beautiful that we begin to fall in love with them. God wants us to have those real, meaningful moments of connection through the imaginative pictures we create in our minds. Let us also say this, though. It's not just our doing. We're not just sitting here conceiving of a God and then falling in love with that God. No, there's more to it than that. Paul actually writes on this multiple times. We're going to read two passages together. Let's start in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14 through 18. But their minds, the Israelites, were hardened, for until this very day, at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because it is removed only in Christ. But even to now, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of God is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, keep that line in your mind, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. What's incredible is what he's saying here is that with the Holy Spirit's aid and help, if we conceptualize what it is to look at God unveiled, meaning through Jesus, once we have the image of Jesus, we begin to conform ourselves to that pattern. We begin to conform our actions to his, and we begin to shine his glory into our life until our glory reflects his. What, what he is saying here is that this use of imagination, focusing and conceptualizing God as the medium by which we interact with the world, by having this, this conceptualized God as our mirror, we begin to change using that. Our life becomes radically different. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, a passage often quoted, Paul encourages us to be transformed in Christ. And here is how. We are transformed in Christ by the image of Christ. We are transformed to being more like Christ when our imagination conceives of an accurate depiction of Christ. Because where our imagination leads, we're going to follow. The image of God in our imagination is the image of God that we will strive to conform to. It is the image by which we will be transformed by. And this is why it was so important to God that people don't make representations of stone or idols or icons. None of that stuff mattered. He wanted them to understand him through this use of imagination. It's also encouraging in this passage, but also several other in the New Testament, that we see that the Holy Spirit uses our thoughts, uses our minds, constantly is guiding us to understanding and falling in love with God. It stands to reason, then, that he would use our depictions of God, changing them, altering them, employing them, to help transform us. This is not a process we're undergoing alone. But when we unlock the gates of, of our imagination to God and allow him to create something in us, the Holy Spirit will begin to cultivate and create pack, uh, pictures, depictions, that we can follow in our, our mind's eye until eventually we find ourselves being transformed by the mirror of God's glory in the image of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3-6, through 6, Paul says this, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world, listen to this, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, 
so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory in Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Christ's sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. If we as people do not employ our imagination, we're giving it over to Satan, who will use it to blind us. He already is doing this. When we're not using our imagination and giving it to the Holy Spirit to conform us more to the image of Christ, we find ourselves lacking severely. We find ourselves being blinded. Because if God's not using our imagination, Satan is. And if Satan's using our imagination, he's cultivating fear, deception, anger, stress, worry, all of these things. But if God is using our imagination, he is creating in us a picture of Christ the face of Christ, by which we can be transformed, by which we have the knowledge of the glory of God, by which we begin to shine as lights out of darkness. Imagination is the tool God uses through the Holy Spirit to transform us. But it only is effective if we give it over to the Holy Spirit and allow him, not us, him, to create the face of Christ in our mind's eye so that we can have that mirror of glory to shine into ourselves. Today I would like to end this podcast by asking you to do something a little abstract. I want you to picture Christ. I want you to picture his face. I want you to picture his voice. I want you to imagine the texture of his hands. I I want you to work on imagining his smile, his laugh. Take time every day and just meditate on that. Meditate on his actions. When you're walking in a situation, every once in a while, allow your imagination to play out a scenario in which Christ is walking into that situation. Walking into that situation and doing what Christ does. Imagine for a moment you walk, you're, you're walking into your office and you see someone who's having a, a, a difficult time. They look off or disheveled or frazzed. Imagine in your mind's eye that depiction of Christ, that face, those hands, the voice, the laughter, the smile. Walking into this room and what would he do? Because in the conceptualization of Jesus, you're accomplishing two ends. The same two ends we talked about at the beginning of this podcast. We are understanding God better, falling in love with God more, and we are using it as a medium for us to interact with the world. Imagination is going to be a a valuable tool, if and only if we understand the image of the God who we're trying to represent. Who is God to you? Who is this Jesus that you're supposed to be falling in love with? What is your depiction of God in all situations and in every moment? These things we'll come back to as we try our best to fall in love with God.